prophet, David waxed stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And, you know, it's a picture of a Christian's life. And here we see that David, and you would think that a great victory, and Saul had now been taken off the scene, and no longer was David going to have to hide in the mountains and hide in the caves and wonder whether this person was his friend or whether he was his enemy. Was he going to tell Saul where he was or was he going to sell him out? He, he, he didn't have to run back into the Philistines' country and hide out from the king of, of Israel is trying to kill him. And, and so it's kind of like we as believers that there are times where we have a, ha, have a great victory. And even as the testimonies, even Missy talking about the challenges to get here on a Sunday morning and, and you win that victory and praise the Lord. But guess what? That battle's going to come again next Sunday. It's going to come again on the midweek service. It's going to come when, when, when you uh, have, have told the Lord that, hey, today I, I want to give you my life, Lord, and I, I want to serve you. And, and Satan's like, are you sure? You know, and then he gets to poking you and, 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 and your mind gets busy on other things and, and uh, oh, how we need to be careful and, and realize that <clears throat> David's life represents the, the, the very life of every Christian that, that's here today. And, and we have moments of peace and we have moments of victory, but we also need to understand that the battle still rages on and, and will continue to do so until the day that we die. I, I love the verse that we have in our on our on our wrestling mats and and uh, 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 Ephesians six and <clears throat> tells us that uh, talks about um, the in Ephesians six verses ten through eighteen what I'd like to read and and talks about the battle that we have and and it says finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And, and something that, that's interesting, it says, put on the armor of God. Well, that's an aorist imperative. And, and so it's a one-time action, and it's an imperative command. And so what he's telling you is this is something that you put on, and you never take it off. You leave it on, and, and you wake up with it on. You go to bed with it on. You, you walk through the day with this armor on, and, and you learn to, to live with that being on you all the time and, and, and making sure that you're persistent in, in taking care of that. And, and, so here, and, and so put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Oh, and he is crafty, and he's scheming, and he's constantly trying to destroy us in ways and and he goes and tells us for we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And here we... We see the, the picture of David, and, 
And his whole life, we're going to see this. We'll, we'll see moments of great victory. We'll see moments of rest. We're, we're going to see uh, uh, struggles that, that are uh, life-threatening struggles in his life. And we've already seen those and, and watched his character being revealed throughout all of this. And, and so here, here is this great battle that, that's going on. And, and then it tells us that, that there was a war here in verse 1. And then verse 6, the, between the house of Saul and the house of David. And, and you know what you also find out? You find out that in this battle that, that ultimately between the kings it would have probably been settled. But however, there were some people on the, on the side and one of those men was named Abner. And if you remember Abner, he was the right-hand man of Saul. He was the the soldier that that uh, was was the leader of the army of Saul, and and he had a big mouth, and he had a big pride, and and, and an arrogant attitude, and and he was shifty, and and he really didn't respect the leadership, and and uh, he he uh, followed Saul because he didn't have any choice. But but we see that Abner was a bully, and and led much of the same way as Saul, and so there's Abner on his side, but then. We have Joab on David's side. And Joab wasn't any better. And so here they are. They're, they're scheming behind the, the, the uh, uh, scenes and, and doing uh, things that aren't right and that, that are not what they uh, are supposed to be. And, and so we see that, that uh, in chapter 2, we saw this great struggle that had taken place between Joab and, and had taken place against Abner and their men and and we know that uh, 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 Joab's brother had been killed during this time. And Joab and Abishai are, are brothers and their other brother had been killed by Joab. And, and so now we see that Joab is, is trying to jockey his position with Saul's son, Ishbosheth, and, and uh, uh, help with the, the kingdom and actually kind of run it on the side and just let Ishbosheth be the be the, the talking head at the time, you might say. And, and so it tells us that, uh, and, and uh, <clears throat> we see that uh, uh, he had words with Ishbosheth here in, in uh, verses 6 through 11. And, and, uh, uh, and it tells us in verse 11 that the king himself, he could not answer Abner a word again because he feared him. So Abner now, deciding to play both sides, sent a messenger to David and said, hey, I'd like to talk to you and like to talk to you about delivering all of the tribes into your hands so that you can be the uh, king of all of them. And David says, before I'll ever talk to you, you're going to give my wife back. You remember Saul's daughter, and it was Saul's daughter that had been given to him. Saul had done so. And thinking that he could use that as, a, as an inroad in to find out what David was doing all the time. And so Michael was, was uh, given to him as a wife. And then Saul got mad at David. And when David had to flee for his life, then he turned and took his daughter and then gave her to another man. And David said, I'm not going to talk to you until you right the wrong. You need to restore the things that you've done. And and, and here's another life principle. And do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? And I won't go there for time, but in Luke chapter 19, in the first 10 verses there, remember Zacchaeus was a short little guy and had climbed up into the tree to see Jesus. And, and we know that, that uh, uh, he, he was one of the, 
the uh, bureaucrats of the day. He was a tax collector, and, and we know that he was, he was very wealthy, and, and he had done so off the backs of the honest people and had been very dishonest. And, and it was Jesus that talked to Zacchaeus and, and said, you need to come down because I'm going to dine with you. And, and, he, and he dines with Zacchaeus, and obviously it's there that Zacchaeus trusts Christ as his Savior. And do you remember what Zacchaeus did? You remember? He said, anyone that I wronged, I'll restore fourfold. He said, I want you to, to have the, these things, and I want to restore that. And do you remember what Jesus told him? Zacchaeus, salvation has come to you in your house. And so we see the, the restoration, and, and, and it is that way in our lives. You know, uh, we, as, we as believers, and, and like David, and, and uh, demanding these things to be righted, well, it's the same way in our own lives that 1 John 1.9 is in the Scripture for those of us who are believers, that, and we need to confess our sins and, and, and give them to God, and, and it says that He will forgive us our sins, and, and, and so we need to continue to do that and, and make sure that whenever we have sin in our lives, we need to right the wrong. You need to confess it to God. You need to restore that which you've done. If, if you sin by, I, I don't know, losing your, your cool with your wife and chewing on your wife and, and making a scene in front of your kids and it was an ungodly scene and, and, and not at all what, what it should be, then yes, you take it to God first and foremost. That's who you sinned against first and you sin against God and you confess it to God. But then you go to your wife and you apologize for your actions. You go to your children and you apologize for your actions. And, and you need to restore those things. Well, here we see that principle being taught. And David told him, he said, I'm not going to talk to you until you bring my wife back. And, you know, I find this sad too. Look at verse 16. It says that, that they go and they, they get Michael and... And her second husband comes with her. And look at this. And her husband went with her along, weeping behind her to Bahurim. Then said Abner unto him, Go, return. And he returned. I just find that sad. You know, I, I, I know you two are planning on getting married. Yeah, I, I heard these rumors. You know, and, and uh, you know, the best advice I can give you is you love her until you die. And you love him until you die. And you do everything to, to make it better for your wife to grow and to be exactly what God wants her to be. And you die trying. And you die doing that in your life. And, and you love each other. And you, I just, I, I don't know, I just find that to be a pathetic verse. The only thing you're ever going to know about Michael's second husband was he was a snowflake. I mean, he was a pansy. You know, go down fighting and say, you're not going to get her. You know, fight King David, you know, and say, you're not going to have her. You got 27 other wives by now, you know, and you don't need mine. And, and I'm sorry that you crossed Saul, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight for her. But anyway, that's another, you know, my, my thoughts. You know, I read something like this and I'm like, okay, God, why is that in there? You know, I mean, obviously he wants us to see something from it and and I just see some sniveling little rat following his wife and hanging under her coattail and saying, oh, don't go, you know. And it's like, you know, you're, anyway, there's, there's certain things that 
that are worse than dying. And to be recorded in the scripture as a snivelly little crybaby, I just wouldn't want that. And, and so that's what I, I named the husband, crybaby. So, but anyway, so, so we go on and, and then it says that, that he comes and he meets up with David and, 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 they, and they make a deal and Abner says, hey, I'll, I'll bring you Israel. I'll bring you all of these guys and, and they can follow you and you can be king. And, and, and then uh, he leaves and then Joab comes back into town and, and he hears about this and he comes to the king in verse 26. And when Joab was come out from David, uh, well, first of all, verse 25, Thou knowest Abner, the son of Ner, that he came to deceive thee and to know thy going out and thy coming in and to know all that thou doest. David, do you know what he's doing? He's up to no good, and here he is. You know he's going to do this. And this just reminds me of something that that I have a habit of doing, and and it's wrong, but he just assigned motives to someone, and he really doesn't know. Honestly, how many of us know each other's hearts? We don't, do we? How, How do we know someone's motivations? We don't until they actually fulfill those. And Look, if you see somebody walk in with a shotgun and he pulls his shotgun out and he points it at Tim, then I don't need to question his motivations any longer. But you, you, you know, you see somebody walk in and, and he's got, I don't know, black pants, blue shirt, and he's bald, and you think, I don't know, man, I don't trust bald guys at all. You know, and, and I just think that maybe he's got some bad intentions and maybe we ought to get Sparky out and light him up. And but do we know? We we don't know if he's got bad intentions or not. And and so, but but there are times where we catch ourselves assigning motives to someone, and we really and truly don't know what those motivations are. And so here, Joab doing this, and so then Joab, being the rat that he is, and was no better than Abner, and and not only that, but was not willing to submit to the authority that. God had placed over him and, and had shown him that, that he needed to do so and that he needed to learn to submit. And, and look, we need to teach our children to do that. You need to teach your children to obey. You need to teach your children to learn to submit to, to authority, whether it be the parental authority in their home or whether it be in the classroom, the, the teacher's authority. And, and, and you need to teach them to respect that authority. You need to teach them to respect the police officers that are out there doing their job. And whether you think you're guilty of it or not, you still need to respect the authority that's going on that's been placed in your life. And, and you, we all need to respect the pastoral authority, not because of who I am, but because if he is truly and rightfully proclaiming the Word of God, you are truly submitting to the authority of God in your life. And when we don't allow or we don't make our children start early in obeying this, then pretty soon you have them disobeying all authority, and the number one authority that they're going to disobey is God. And that's a bad day to be, bad place to be. And oh, how we see, you know, and and I don't take it lightly, and nor should you, in Ephesians chapter 6, and I believe it's about verse 3, it tells children, obey your parents. And my, my version of it, and live long. If you don't, die a short life. I mean, it, it, and it does happen. And we don't want that. 
and oh, how we need to be careful and we need to submit to the authority that's given. And so here, Joab, he, he doesn't like this. And so Joab, and then it tells us that Abishai went with him and, and, and called Abner and said, hey, Abner, wait up, buddy. I need to talk to you. And walks up and sticks him with a knife and kills him. And David said to Joab and to all the people that were with him, rend your clothes and gird you a sackcloth and mourn before Abner and King David himself followed the bier. And they buried Abner in Hebron, and the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner, and all the people wept. And the king lamented over Abner and said, Died Abner as a fool dieth? Thy hands were not bound, nor thy feet put into fetters, as a man falleth before wicked men, so fellest thou. And all the people wept again over him. When all the people came, to cause David to eat meat while it was yet day, David swear, saying, So do God to me, and more also, if I taste bread or aught else, till the sun be down. And all the people took notice of it, and it pleased them, as whatsoever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people and all Israel understood that day that it was not of the king to slay Abner, the son of Ner. You know what? I, I, I see another principle here that there just wasn't any pretense with David. When there was pretense with David, we see he wrecked his life bad. When he tried to hide uh, the, the sin that we'll see of adultery, later on we, we see the, the mess that he got into. But, but for the most part, you know what you saw with David? What you see with David is what you get. And that's who he was. And that's what we need to be. I, I, I cannot stand going into churches where you can see that there is a lot of pretense there. When, when everybody is sitting there and they make themselves look perfect and they act perfect and they, and they give their children the stare down, if they, if they even, I, I don't know, maybe they cough during a service, you know, and you disturb the service and, you know, and, and, and you make yourself look perfect and, and then you don't invite somebody over to your house unless everything is perfect and all things are in, in a perfect order and, and, you, and you conduct yourself differently when, when you're in church than you do outside. And, and, and it's almost like when you come in here, you can say, hey, look at me. I have everything going for me and, and I got everything lined out here and everything is going good. And let me tell you, that's not the case. None of us. So quit playing with the pretenses because God already knows who you are. We need to do the same thing. That, that's why so many people hide in, the, in, in their, in their uh, uh, social media. They, they only allow people to see what it is that they want to see. They want to project a certain image about themselves, and, and they hide who they truly are, and they hide behind these things. And, and you find out that many of those boisterous people on, on the social media are truly insecure people, kind of like Wizard of Oz. You know, big and bad until you pull the curtain back. And then you find out he's Michael's husband. You know, he's a big crybaby. <clears throat> and so, but here we see that, that they saw that David was genuine, was real. You know, I, I, I uh, you, you know, you open yourself up, but I, I don't care who, who watches that, that, funeral yesterday i hope they all i hope everybody watches it and i hope there is a number of people that quit drinking from that and and you just 
we just need to get to where we share our hearts with people. And, and we are real with them. And let them see that, that you hurt like they do and that, that you struggle like they do and that, that we have our own issues in our life and, and how we need to, to show them that, that we are the real deal and, and, and transparent with them. And here we see that David was exactly that. And then they go on, and, and we'll end with this in verses 38 and 39. And the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And, and he had even had words with Abner. You remember in the cave when, when he had walked up and, and took the spear of Saul? And, and I think he took, was it his water bottle or something too, I think? Took two things and, and then he stood up on the mountain and, and called out to Abner and, and, and told Abner, you truly deserve to die for not protecting your king. He didn't care much for him, but here he said good words about him. And then he says in verse 39, And I am this day weak, though anointed king. The word weak means soft and delicate and tender, and and it actually represents a weakness of undeveloped character. So what he's saying, he's saying, I'm I'm not, look, I'm not used to being king, okay? And, and, And... and I don't know how to handle everything. And I'm not sure how to handle some of these things. Then, even though I have been anointed king, there, there are things that, that I'm weak about and, and, I, and, and ultimately I, I need to learn about. And then he says, and, and these men, the sons of uh, Zeruiah, that, that's Joab, that's Abishai, that's the other son that had been killed. That, these are the ones that had killed. Uh, and these are the very ones that are, are right under David, and, and if I recall, I believe Joab is a brother-in-law to David. Joab had married David's sister, and, and so here we see that, and he says, look, these sons, they're, they're, they're rough, and, and, and they're hard, and they're severe, and they're, and they're fierce in, in who they are, and, and, and they'd be too hard for me. In the... But I want you to know that the Lord shall reward the doer of evil according to his wickedness. Do you know, and we'll see this, probably one of the very last messages of David's life, when David's lying on his deathbed, do you know what he told Solomon about Joab? Does anyone remember? He told told Solomon, you need to kill him. He needs to be gone. For the things that he done under my kingdom, you don't want him in your kingdom. And he needs to die. And Solomon sent one of his powerful men. And it was there that Joab was hanging on to the the horns of the altar, begging for his life. And they took him out of the camp. And they took his life. And he died because of his wickedness. All the the lessons that we can learn from from these men and, and how, oh, how we need to avoid them. And, you know, Three, three, three roots of sin, right? There's pride of life, lust of the eyes, and lust of the flesh. Every sin is going to stem from one of those three things. Here we see that pride destroyed these guys. Pride destroyed them. Pride destroyed Abner, wanting to build himself up and get a position in the kingdom. Joab, wanting to build himself up and 
get a position in the kingdom and, and not only that, but arrogant enough to think that he's more powerful than the king himself and, and running behind him. And this isn't the first time and it's not the only time that we're going to see that Joab has done this. And oh, how we know that all that will do is bring destruction. And what does God tell us? But he, he has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and what's the third thing he said in Micah 6, 8? And to walk humbly with thy God. Let us be humble in our walk. Let us, let us be transparent with God and let us not walk around with pretense, but let us be who it is that God is making us by his grace. We give him the glory, we give him the credit, and every day we wake up in the morning, God today, I want to live for you. Today is a day that you use me for your honor and your glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for David. Thank you for the example that he gives to us. And Lord, I thank you for each one who's here tonight. Father, I pray that you will bless and guide us and use us this week. And Lord, give us boldness to speak the truth and share your gospel whenever we have the opportunity let us tell others about the excitement it is to serve you and live for you and lord i pray that you guide us and bless us in that i pray you bless the fellowship that we have and the food that we have tonight pray that you'll be honored and glorified in all of that lord we love you we thank you we praise you we ask your blessings in jesus name amen